0: Today's episode is a little bit hodgepodgy. like it's along the same lines as last week's episode about jealousy, but it's more about the power of the lens that you use to view the world, because what you focus on matters. Let's talk about it in today's episode. Here we go. Hey, hey, welcome to The Eva Show. I'm Eva Miller. As a domestic violence survivor turned life and wellness coach, I'm on a mission to help you acknowledge your worth reclaim your power, and find your voice in this noisy world. If you're feeling stuck and looking for help, or you just wanna be reminded that it's A-OK to be your unique self in a conforming world, you're in the right place. you ready to ditch expectations other people have put on you and rise to become who you've always wanted to be? Let's go. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host and life coach, Eva Miller. And if you didn't already know, Scarcity is a huge problem in our society. By definition, it means in short supply. And while we do have some supply chain issues happening in our country as well as the rest of the world, that's actually not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about your mindset, your perspective, your place where you're operating from. Today's episode sort of piggybacks on last week's. I'm exploring the idea that your perspective can serve as a prison for you or as a passport. And I talked about jealousy last week and how it stems from a place of scarcity. But there's more to say on this topic because it's bigger than we realize. We may not be aware of it, but we all do things and think things that ultimately reflect the way we view ourselves. And it affects the way we behave in life and show up in our relationships perspective is incredibly powerful. It can serve as a type of prison in your life or as a passport and whichever one it is is totally up to you. I haven't told you this and if you don't know me in real life you're probably not aware that I chose to get a coaching certification through John Maxwell's program. You might be familiar with John or Papa John as he is affectionately referred to by us because of his many books about leadership. I think he's written in the neighborhood of 80 books now. And John has a series of books about 21 laws of leadership, and one of those books is called The Law of the Lid. And that book basically conveys the idea that an organization's effectiveness is capped by its leader's ability to lead. And I'm weaving a little bit of that law into this episode because your perspective will act as a lid or a prison if you're not careful. So let's look at ways that we put a lid on things in our lives that ultimately imprison us or box us in and see how we can liberate ourselves from that tendency and be free. If you gave a presentation to 200 people and when you finished, half of them formed a line to say hello and talk to you, but right then you also noticed one person walking past you, they've got their brows furrowed, they've got a scowl on their face, What do you think you would think? You know, maybe you would think, "Hmm, I wonder if they didn't like my presentation. And maybe that's true. Or maybe the person just really needed to use the bathroom, didn't know where it was, and was desperately trying to find it. While you're over there taking a facial expression and a possible lack of approval personally, it's human nature to notice the negative rather than to appreciate the fact that half of the room are willing to stand in line for a chance to connect with you a little more. I mean, think about it. If you only talked to each person for one minute, that means the people at the end of the line would wait over an hour to talk to you. And yet our brain wants to worry about one person who had a weird look on their face. But focusing on the people standing in line to talk to you, opens you up to new people, new connections, and new directions. And that is a passport perspective, my friend. Recently, I saw a post on social media. It was a picture and it had a quote written on it. And I don't know who it was written by because it didn't say. And probably the person who shared it shared it because it struck a chord with them, right? The quote said, As sure as I know the sun will rise tomorrow, I know that when I wake up, I will love someone that could never love me back. That is a pretty weird flex, if you ask me. Humans tend to focus on the negative instead of the positive, and the reason for that is because our brains are trying to keep us safe. Back in the days when we lived in caves or huts, before we had bricks and doors with locks on them, we spent a lot of our time hunting for food, running from predators, and being vigilant about potential... Actual dangers. And so our brains go back to that. And even though we're not facing those same kinds of dangers now, old habits die hard. And so that brain is focusing on one bad thing or painful thing. And when you do that, in effect, you're putting up a two way mirror kind of all around you, and you become the only thing you can see. And that blocks the opportunities and the growth that are on the other side because you can't see them anymore. You just see you and what you don't have at your disposal. You've sabotaged yourself and your perspective has put you in a prison. Whoever originally wrote the quote about someone never loving them back probably has several people who love him or her. But the author chose to focus on one person out of many, the one negative thing instead of the multitude of positives. I don't know the author who wrote the quote. There's no other context involved. And I understand. I totally get it. Sometimes feeling our big feelings helps us move through them. But I am bringing it up here because we need to know the difference between something that is cathartic and something that is imprisoning because sometimes the line between them can get blurry. Focusing on the negative fosters the temptation to seek more, To have more, to get more, to blame circumstances or other people rather than ourselves. We're tempted to become dissatisfied. Maybe it even lends toward depression. I know, I know depression is sometimes caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. But sometimes it's because we get hyper-focused on negative things so much that we send ourselves into a tailspin and we don't know how to get out. And what we focus on manifests in the ways that we show up in relationships. It makes us competitive. It can sometimes feel like we have to step on other people in order to climb that wall or to achieve success or to get where we want to go. It can cloud our judgment. You know, maybe you wanted something really badly and you didn't get it. And you let that cloud your ability to see the possibility of anything good that might have actually come from the situation. It's really important that we remember that being told no is often a gift and that rejection is just redirection. Having a scarcity mindset and a perspective like that, it sets you up for insecurity. To give you an example of the ways this can play out, I'm going to use my situation to make my point. If you've got grandkids, you'll be able to relate to this. If you someday hope to have grandkids, pay attention. You can learn something here. Next year, we'll welcome the fifth grandchild into our family, and I share those five little Jedis with three other grandmothers. And one of those other grandmothers lives in the same city as some of the kids. So by default, she has lots of opportunity to spend time with them that we don't have because they live in Seattle and we live across the country in Georgia. But do I really believe that those babies have a limit on the amount of love they're capable of? Receiving, experiencing, or feeling, or even giving back? Do I believe that loving their other grandmother a whole bunch somehow limits how much love they're able to have for me? No, I don't. Big Sexy and I live in the same town as two of the Jedis, and their other grandmother lives about two-ish hours away. And when Rhodey and Peyton go to their Nani's house, and they come back and they're telling me all about what they saw, what they did, where they went, movies they watched and all that kind of stuff. It's easy for me to see how really lucky those kids are. They're lucky because their Nani isn't anything like me. She is smart in so many ways where I'm ignorant. Like for starters, she knows about cars, kind of like a lot, way more than the average woman knows, which actually isn't saying very much, but you get what I'm saying, right? Their nanny grows a garden, a big one. She raises all kinds of different animals. She is like a Jill of all trades. She knows a little bit about a whole lot of stuff. And so when the kids come back from being with her, it is clear that their little lives are enriched because of the time they were with her. But does that mean their lives aren't enriched because of the time they spend with me? No. Peyton loves taking care of the animals and gardening with her nanny. But it doesn't mean she doesn't like doing stuff with me. Little girlfriend has enough love for everybody. She's not going to run out. There's no cap. She can be wild about her nani, and her Gigi. There is no reason to compete. Sunsets are beautiful, but so are flowers and they don't look anything alike, but they both beautify the world in their own way. And instead of being grateful that their grandchild has so many people who love them, Some people choose to compete with each other instead of feeling confident in their own space, and that is ushering in an imprisoning perspective. And unfortunately, grandparents aren't the only ones who do this. People who are co parenting with someone they're no longer partnered with do this too sometimes, and it simultaneously breaks my heart and pisses me off. Parents who say negative things about their child's other parent only hurt their child it doesn't hurt the other parent. I mean, the parents aren't together anymore. So the one parent's not expecting the other parent to run for president of their fan club, but it does make the child feel some kind of way about themselves because they're part of the other parent. And when they hear the one parent say something about the other, they feel that. Even if what is said about the other parent is true, even if one parent Treated the other one badly. Even if one parent is a jerk who's never going to be nominated for Parent of the Year, kids are smart and they can figure all that out on their own. And parents can still maintain integrity in that area instead of choosing a perspective that boxes in the whole situation. Because there are no winners that way, it was all, all just only losers. I've only known one person who never put his ex down, he never put her down in front of his son. And I don't ever remember hearing him say something negative about her when his son wasn't around. And I mentioned it to him one day that I noticed, you know, he never did that. And he said, why would I do that to him and make him feel bad just because I don't like his mom? That's mean to him. Some parents truly aren't good to or for their kids. But sometimes we create the problems ourselves because we have the imprisoning perspective. But feelings aren't facts. And if you constantly view the world from the point of view that there's not enough room, not enough resources, not enough to go around, your brain, being the supercomputer that it is, will do what you've programmed it to do and it'll prove you right. You'll you'll find what you're looking for. So if you're operating from a place of scarcity or of limits or lack, that's what you're going to notice. But if you're operating from a place of abundance and you're seeking provision and opportunity, that's what you're going to get. You know, the first year homeschooling, my biggest fear wasn't failure to teach Ryan how to read. It was wasting money because money felt harder to come by to me than my time or my talent. And I spent like 400-ish dollars on Bob Jones' curriculum and I hated it. Ryan didn't even like it. And I was scared to tell Moose, not because he was going to yell or be mad, but I was embarrassed about the idea of saying that I wasted all that money. He was an airman first class. That was his rank. He only had a couple of stripes on his sleeve. We didn't have any extra money to waste like that. But I didn't want to let my failure box me in. I yanked the lid off and I decided to find an opportunity instead. And this was 30 years ago. So I didn't have the ease and the convenience of the internet. I couldn't just hop on Facebook and sell my stuff on Marketplace. But I did sell the books, and I got most of our money back. And in the end, I basically paid a small amount of money to learn some of the philosophies I didn't want my child taught. And once you learn something, it can't be taken away from you. And from that point on, some of the chains that had held me down broke. If you're struggling with having a perspective that is serving more as a prison than a passport for freedom and growth, I actually have some journaling questions that might help you separate some of the layers of why that is. If you want to pause this and grab a pen and paper, feel free. If you're listening like in your car or if you're on a walk or something, you can always come back to this when you get home and take a few minutes to just sit, reflect, and just jot down your answers. I'll ask the question and you can pause immediately to write or you can just listen to Mm, a couple of things that I say after the question that might be a springboard to help you sort through them. Either way is okay. But writing down the first response that pops into your head is actually ideal. Because even if it feels dumb or weird or whatever, if you pay attention, the body often will give an honest, visceral response That we usually end up thinking later is what we're supposed to ignore or clean up or make prettier or more acceptable somehow to other people. But this isn't about what other people think. Worrying about what other people think is actually what causes most of our problems anyway. And so this is a great place to begin to just set that aside and go a little deeper. Okay, so here we go. There are only four questions. And the first question is, in what areas is my perspective keeping me imprisoned. Maybe it's insecurities within yourself. Maybe it's about areas that you want to experience some personal growth in and some change, and you're scared. The second question, what's the best thing that could come out of this situation? You know, maybe you would say, oh, it would be that my kid is secure knowing her parents were committed to doing whatever it took to let her know she has two soft places to land if she ever falls. Or maybe you'd say, even if my kid's parents aren't together in that way, it doesn't mean she ever has to settle for less than she deserves. Even if your kid's other parent is a total ass, if the best you can do is to control your reactions or responses to that person and not to take things personally, write that down. The third question, what would the strongest, best version of me do? Would it be to work on forgiving? Would it be to try to get to a place that's forgiveness adjacent by working through some of the bitterness? Would it be to stop circling the same loop in your mind over and over and over? Maybe you would say it's to remind yourself of facts only and focus your energy on those. Because where your attention goes, energy flows. The fourth and final question, what can I do that 10 years from now, I will look back on and be proud of. Will it be that you kept your head held high? Will it be that you just made sure you never dragged your kid into your drama? Whatever pops into your mind, write it down. Okay, that's it for me this time. Thanks for listening. And hey, before I go, I would love to hear any feedback you would care to share with me about the show or if you have questions for me, I want to know. Email me at eva at fractured2fabulous.com or send me a message on the gram at I'm Eva Miller. Have a great week. Peace.